Hey everybody, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Day, Saturday. Um, kind of a dreary, overcast day. Um, the best thing about this part of December is the shortest day of the year's already happened and the days are getting longer. Days are getting longer. I mean, boy, it's tough to get some stuff done outside. Uh, you know, when, when it, you know, 3 o'clock, 3.30, you got to start wrapping up what you're going to do because you got to do chores because you want to have enough time if, you know, cow's having a calf or you're seeing something going on or whatever. You know, water froze up, whatever, this time of year. I mean, it hasn't been cold enough yet to do that, but, I mean, it will. Uh, it looks like we're going to get to a low of 12 next weekend. So, you know, you, you, you always got to give yourself a little bit of extra time at the end of the day. And so you just don't get as much done when you're working when you just don't have near the daylight. But I digress a little bit. Um, thought about talking about... Uh, you know, whether the United States is a Christian nation or that, but I didn't think that you folks on a day like today wanted to get that deep into a conversation. Uh, did want to touch on a couple things. Um, the first one is sometimes it's not, you know, you know, the old saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. Well, I kind of want to extend that as kind of what kind of relationships do you have and who are those people are. And especially in, in the business of farming, you know, who's kind of your outside advisors? Who's kind of the people that you turn to and you have a network? And I can tell you for a long time when I was a younger farmer, it was a whole bunch of guys that were a lot older and wiser than I were, along with along with two ladies uh, that ran businesses. Uh, still, one does, the other one sold it to another lady. Um, but my my crop insurance owners, that, that was a lady who... Um, before she became a crop insurance agent, she worked for FCIC, which was Federal Crop Insurance Corporation, which has now become risk, the risk management agency. Um, and so she knew her stuff. And then the other one is the, the, the place where we do the vast majority of our fertilizer, chemical, uh, soybean seed, uh, a little bit of corn seed, but, but all our bean seed is, is owned by a woman. And uh, done done business with her for a long time, and she runs a really good place. She's got a great manager, um, and you know you got to watch it there. You know, some new person coming in there because the person answering the phone and acting like the secretary, but the lady that does all the billing and knows all where all the money's at, knows everything. That's the owner, and and more than one salesperson has made the mistake of you know. Well, I want to talk to the manager. <laughs> You're talking to the owner. <laughs> you may want to, you know, she may be sitting out front doing the, doing the bills, taking care of the money, and that kind of stuff. Where, whereas the guy that manages the operation sits in the back. But uh, you know, uh, oh, and she told she told my wife and I a, a hilarious story about driving an A one time when she was younger. You know, those are the tricycle front end, you know, floaters, you know, and, and, you know, just, it's, it's just a hilarious story. I mean, you, you gotta love it. It was when her husband was still alive. He was the guy who started the business, but he unfortunately passed away in an, in an unfortunate accident. And she kept the business and has been very successful at it. And oh, by the way, she didn't grow up on a farm either, guys. And the reason I say guys, I don't think I have to tell this to the gals, but guys, uh, she she learned her business, knew her stuff, and is is very very successful at it. Didn't grow up on a farm, doesn't have an ag degree. Did go to college, but doesn't have an ag degree, and uh, kind of backdoor her way into running a very successful business. But she's good at it.
But but I want to talk about a little bit just just before I get into what 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 I really want to talk about today is interest rates and inflation. But before I get there, a lot of you folks know where I talk about you know not what who you know or you know what what you know but who you know. But I I say it more what kind of relationships you have and who your advisors are, especially when you're in business like we are. And 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 I've had to you know I now have some some guys and gals younger than me that I turn to for advice on certain things. But uh, there's an elevator manager who ran the co-op elevator that I was on the co-op board, name of Fred Reeves, great guy, knows more about the grain industry than than most people ever will know. He's probably forgotten more than most people ever know. Um, and, And was in a big company and was moving up but all of a sudden, they basically wanted to start moving him all over the world and doing all kinds of stuff. And I think one of either both of his girls were in junior high, or one was in junior high, and the other one was just starting high school. And he didn't want to move all over the place and and you know bounce up and go all over the world and everything else. And so he took a job working a little local co-op, which then consolidated with another co-op, which then he built a hundred car train loader. Uh, and then ended up buying another elevator and turned it into a really big operation. And, and he, he was uh, pretty much retired by the time it happened, but um, ended up another co-op elevator consolidating together. But he was, in, in my opinion, kind of the godfather of the whole thing and, and got everything going on the right direction. And, and taking nothing, absolutely nothing away from our manager and our grain merchandiser that we got now. Uh, they're really good, really like talking to the young kid that's a grain merchandiser, really, really think he's good at what he does. Uh, and, and the manager the manager knows how to make money now, and that's really good. And, and nothing against anybody else that worked there. Um, I think I got along with them all pretty well. Um, enjoyed the relationships with them. But but my story on Fred is, um, when I was in USDA the first time during the Bush administration, every now and then we used to go out to Kansas City and commodity operations, which was basically the commodity loan people, the people that you know dealt with the grain industry and stuff, would have a meeting between commodity operations, some of the uh, uh, state staff and, and states, in FSA large states that, that had a lot of commodity operations and the grain industry. Well, we, we were out in, in, you know, you had Washington, D.C. staff, you had Kansas City staff, you had state staff, and then you had the grain industry. And I just made this comment, and these two guys that work for a very large national co-op kind of stopped and said, who told you that? And I said, Fred Reeves. And they said, well, how, how'd you, how, how do you know Fred? I said, well, Fred runs my co-op elevator. And they just got this big smile on their face, and several other people did. Now, you got to remember, I just ticked the Kansas City and the Washington, D.C. staff off because they just realized these guys were going to talk to me instead of talking to, um, you know, some, some of the, uh, the D.C. and Kansas City staff. But I still remember that guy just turned to the, the, the head honcho out of D.C. It wasn't the secretary of ag, but it was a head career person and said, whatever he tells you, you listen to him because if he knows that guy, he knows what he's talking about. And that guy that he's talking to is one of the best in the business. 
And, you know, nothing like putting a huge mark on my back, not, not, nothing like, you know, make it paint a target on me. But on the other hand, though, uh, it, it, you know, there was people then that wanted to know what I knew and who I knew. And then the second time in this grain industry thing was, if you all remember back um, uh, during uh, some of these market facilitation programs and CFAP programs that, that we paid all the quote-unquote Trump money during the Trump time, you know, you had first you had the trade uh, stuff and then you turned around with the coronavirus. Well, one of the programs, you had to have possession of the grain. And, you know, a lot of people were worried about, well, is a DP contract going to count as that? Is, is a, uh, you know, basis contract going to count? You know, what, what about, you know, a, a forward cash sale that's already sold for, for in the future, but you still got the grain now? You know, went through a whole bunch of stuff. Well, uh, finally, there was a chart that came out, and it, it was a pain because D.C., and I don't blame the D.C. staff, nor do I blame the, the what I call down the, the 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 not top end political appointed staff they were trying they were trying to work but you had people at the top and you got to remember there's an outfit called the Office of Management and Budget OMB and OMB's whole job is to prevent the government from spending any money I'm convinced of that their their job is to limit the amount of money going out the door that's their job Nothing. They got no other job than that. Office management and budget job is to limit the money going out the door. Well, whenever you do anything where you're going to spend money, you got to get you know OMB to sign off on it. And so OMB was looking. Wow, we could crack down a bunch of these contracts and not pay a bunch of this money out there. And this is a great way to save money. Well, we all knew politically that wasn't going to happen. And and I know the head of the Illinois Grain and Feed Association real well, um, knowing him for a long time. Uh, kind of interesting. The Illinois Grain and Feed Association office is like our backyard of the Illinois State USDA FSA and the regional RMA office. I mean, we're we're next door neighbors. Um, if if we need if we had a, a big meetings going on at the state office and we needed an extra meeting room. Uh, Illinois Grain and Feed said, "Yeah, hey, you can have our meeting room. Come on over. Well, you, no problem. We, we we enjoy having you." Well, <laughs> it just so happened, you, not only is there an Illinois Grain and Feed Association, there's National Grain and Feed Association. Well, the National Grain and Feed Association, they had different committees. Committees. Well, they had like a government affairs public policy committee, and the chairman of that was a guy from Illinois that I knew. And now this chart got leaked out of Iowa, and everybody kind of thinks it came out of Iowa, but I can tell you there was a guy in Illinois, not me, but there was a guy in Illinois that worked a lot on that chart through the secretary's office and and other people. But I can tell you this much now, him and I talked a lot. We talked a lot just for the simple fact you know, he he was kind of figuring out where where do you think they'll go? What what you know? How far can you you know you know where where should we be? You know, I mean, kind of that. And he knows that I know the grain industry. I've been on on that big co op board for nine years and been around and just you know uh, being being working eight years for the Bush administration and the FSA. You got a little bit idea of what goes on now. And am, am, am I the smartest greatest? you know, a person in the grain industry? No, not by any stretch of the imagination, but have a pretty good working knowledge of what's going on. 
And, you know, him and I, we never, and, and this is probably the first time going to come out, but we never really told anybody in D.C. that we were talking. We were just talking. That's another thing. If you ever get in a position um, where you're running something big and you see somebody doing something really good, it's probably partly because of the relationships they know. And you don't, you, you, you may want to try to figure out who down lower in your organization they're talking to. Now, there, there was nothing there trying to cut the legs out from under anybody or do anything else. Now, that happens all the time in, in politics and in government and political appointees. But in this case, we're just trying to get a fair shake for the, for the national farmers, you know, people that had these grain contracts. Because nobody ever thought when they signed some kind of a grain contract that, you know, a government payment was going to depend on whether you technically had ownership in that grain or not. And, you know, and, and a lot of that green, too, you know, especially with a DP, that's unpriced. You're just allowing the elevator to move grain around as the elevator sees fit, depending on what the basis is. Maybe not so much what the future price is or what whatever that elevator, you know, if the elevator's got a bin that goes bad or quality that goes bad. Or, you know, on the other hand, where when you got a corn loader, a railroad, um, another elevator has storm damage from wind. They got a train. They can't, you know, fill the train because they got storm damage and, and your, your co-op elevator says, hey, hey, we'll, we'll fill that train for you. Well, you you, you got to have possession of enough corn to be able to fill that train. And if everything's on storage, then I don't know what you'd have to bid to get it. But when it's under DP, you could help fill that train, which, by the way, helped another co-op out that had storm damage. So they didn't have to pay a penalty on the train. So that that's the, the the relationships you develop and who your advisors and who's talking and, and like I said, you know, if you move up, everybody underneath you has relationships with different people. You know, and and, it, and you know, it's I can think of a number of farmers that I know that had real good relationships with Illinois FSA employees. And, you know, that's, that, that's, that's kind of how you, but on, you can use that both ways too. You know, you can, you can get buy-in of your employees if their influencers are buying in. I mean, it, it all works together, but let's get back and yeah, wow, 14 and a half minutes into this deal. Let's get back to what I was going to talk about, interest rates and inflation. And this is just my opinion. I'm no big ag economist. I'm no economist. I'm just a dumb old farm boy. But I think they got one of two roads to go down. And I'm guessing they're going to take the second road, not the first road. The first road is to do what Jimmy Carter, Paul Volcker, and then Reagan followed up with Volcker did to bust inflation back in the late 70s, early 90s. And that's raise interest rates until the point of it hurting. And if we would go back to the old Volcker formula, interest rates should be 9% right now. Now, I can tell you there's a whole lot of producers with as much money as we got on the line and where the price of inputs are and farm machinery and everything else. If you put interest rates back to 9%, they don't cash flow at all. I mean, they got to buy a new combine with five years of payments at 9%. That changes those payments dramatically over borrowing the money at 2 or 3%. Or sometimes, you know, well, we'll give you 0% for two years. 
you know, and then, then, you know, on the third year, I mean, you, you know, I mean, when you start blending this stuff in, you know, these interest, these interest rates are one and three quarters, two, two and a half percent over the, over the life of the loan. Plus when you get the first two years at zero percent interest, um, that means your first two payments are knocking nothing but principal off. They're not paying any interest. You start paying 9% interest, that first payment's got a lot of interest in it. So, um, you know, and I was told back, back, oh gosh, this was maybe 2016, that if you raised at that time interest rates 2%, most, most highly leveraged operations, i.e. a lot of the bigger ones, uh, go broke. Well, they're, they're upside down. And, and yes, we got very, very good profits, tremendous profits in, in grain farming last year and this year. Next year doesn't look near as good just for the simple fact is, you know, the, the expenses are so doggone high. But when you get those expenses that doggone high, if you do raise the interest rates, that's really going to jack with the cash flows. So that's one way that they could attack this thing. They could literally say, we're going to break the back of inflation. We're going to make the, do- the, the U.S. dollar value higher. We're going to pay exorbitant interest rates for the money. Um, and in doing so, that would probably, in my mind, because the value of the dollar would go up, would bring the cost of energy to Americans anyway, way down. Which energy is such a huge component of inflation because you know to manufacture something if the energy cost is higher it costs you more money to transport it somewhere the energy cost is higher it it costs you more money just for the help to get back and forth to work costs them more money which means you got to pay them more and and believe me you got to pay them more because the help's figured it out we've turned the corner in this country with the baby boomers retiring and we've went from a surplus of labor to more of an equilibrium with labor and you're competing with everybody else and people are going to shop around for labor. Uh, so that that's that's one choice they can do. Now, the big problem with that is the government owes trillions of dollars. And right, you know, I, and I've said this before, you've heard me say this before. Doesn't matter how much money the government has borrowed if interest rates are zero. Because that means they're paying zero interest every year on the budget. But you start raising interest rates, all of a sudden the government gets in a world of hurt big time. You know, and we could talk about having a great reset or a cancellation of debts or, you know, the government making a a huge platinum coin that's worth $25 trillion and they go present it to the Federal Reserve and all our debts are paid off. You know, I mean, we we could talk about, you know, the year Jubilee, we could talk about all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think behind door number two lays the path that they're going to go down, and I don't know how well this works, but I think they're probably going to try to manage inflation for 4 to 6% a year increase in inflation. Now, does that mean food prices are going to go up 4 to 6% every year? No. Uh, we're going to have them years where things, you know, go up, a lot more than others, and then we're going to have that time where we overproduce commodities or something else goes on, or we get into it with China, who knows whatever, and we drop way back down. Uh, the risk is a lot higher, though, when you start dealing with bigger numbers because there's a lot more chips out there on the poker table. 
But that's the road I think we go down as we try to manage inflation at 4 to 6%. We raise interest rates a little, but not a whole lot. We probably cut back on some of the quantitative easing, so we're not throwing as much liquidity out there. We're not throwing as much money out there. Um, but that probably does little to, to shake asset levels, even in down commodity price years. And that'll get a lot of quote-unquote money managers trying to figure out what do we put our money in just to preserve our wealth to not lose it up against inflation. And do I think they can pull this off forever? No. I think if you go down door number two, as I call it, um, it probably gets away from you at some point in time. Of course, there's there's all kinds of crazy things going on with you know the Russians and the Ukrainians and the Iranians and the Israelis and you know you know we're not even talking about North Korea rattling the saber and you know other stuff going on you know China Taiwan I mean the the whole the whole ball of wax here you know and and I can tell you Putin is trying to get the old Soviet Union back he wants to get NATO not only out of of, you know, he wants to not only prevent NATO from going into Ukraine, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan. Because you got to remember, Turkey's part of NATO. And Azerbaijan is an ally of Turkey, whereas Armenia is more an ally of Russia. But there's some in the West that, you know, like Armenia. And I don't think Russia, and I think they're scared to death too, I think Putin is, that will end up getting... Uh, NATO membership to some of those Central Asian republics. And I think where Putin's line is, he doesn't want anybody touching Russia to be part of NATO, which means the three Baltic states touch Russia. And oh, by the way, Poland touches Russia. Now you're going to say, well, Poland's up against Belarus and Ukraine. But there's that little bit of old East Prussia, that Kaliningrad area on the Baltic Sea that the Russians kept from Germany that's not part of Poland, not part of, what is that, Lithuania? Well, you got Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. So, you know, right in there, um, the Russians have got, and, and you watch it, Putin's going to want a land bridge back and forth between those. And I think, too, he's wanting a land bridge between at least Ukraine and uh, Crimea and Odessa. Odessa's in part of Ukraine. It's right by Moldova. I think Putin wants Odessa back into Russia. He wants the whole Baltic coast to be Russian. Um, and and the one thing I noticed, Putin is starting to throw stuff out there that he's wanting immediate answers to. And these are, if you're really wanting peace, these are these long-term negotiations that go on for a long while. And... Sure looks like to me he's not. So maybe my inflation interest rate question's a moot point. One thing, one thing, and, and you know, I got a good friend of mine, and he he's a he's a huge history major, and he goes, We're actually at war with the Russians right now. We're in another Cold War, but it's all electronic. It's all sanctions. I mean, we got a bunch of sanctions against the Russians. It's all banking, it's all cyber, it's all that stuff. And, you know, he, he makes the comments there's a whole lot more ways to do warfare now than having people lining up shooting against each other. 
there's a lot of economic stuff that you can do that can can you know put the hurt on where then the people internally get upset with their country and and possibly throw a fit i mean just look just look at the squeeze they're putting on the Taliban in Afghanistan and how I'm not sure how the Taliban is going to feed everybody. Of course, I'm not sure they care. They may want to just eliminate half of them. But it, it's it's a tough road to hoe, though. Also, those people knowing that we're putting the pressure on, on the, the government that's actually starving them. But yeah, there, there's, um, you know, interest rates and inflation. I think that's a very, very, very interesting deal going on um and you know door number one is the is the thing that you know basically in 1979 when carter hired volcker and you know he just started raising interest rates left and right and reagan let him keep doing it um and i think i think in the mid 80s when we had the the ag financial thing and stuff started getting really bad in times you know that's kind of when they started backing off on that in on on the interest rates, and uh, I think part of that was was politically there, um, because you were breaking banks in the Midwest, and I said that before all the time. Farmers, you got to remember, um, if if a whole bunch of farmers and ranchers start going broke, they're not going to be too worried about it. But when the banks start going down, and this whole banking industry is tied in with each other. That's when they start waking up, and then they'll start throwing the money back at us again if we ever get in a situation like that. Well, hey, door number two is where I think they're going to go. I think they're going to try to manage 4 to 6% inflation a year, not raise interest rates a whole lot, raise them maybe a little. Um, it's going to cost us a little bit more money to operate, probably take a lot of the profit out of it when you figure you know our higher input costs and higher interest rates. And... Um, you know, go on down the road from then. But on the other hand, too, though, you know, a lot of times we end up at certain times of the year with money in the bank, and that money's making us nothing nowadays. Literally making us nothing. Well, if you're getting, if you got excess money in the bank and you're making two, three, four percent interest on it, and I'm not saying it's going to get to four, probably more like two. Um, now, you may have to pay instead of three percent, you may have to pay six percent for your for your money. That's going to shake some people up, but nonetheless, um, it, it it changes the dynamics, and that's I think the door number two that they're going to go. I I have no I have nobody telling me this. I have no. Uh, this is just me kind of thinking that's the way they're going to go. They're going to try to manage this thing, and I can tell you, whenever you try to manage something like this, it generally gets away from you. One way or the other. Well, hey, think about who your influencers are and how influential they are. To the smartest audience in agriculture, Merry Christmas.